Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is M.I.P. With Marcinella Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Get ready for impeachment. Another edition of Make It Plain, the podcast. Glad you could be here with us. Tell a friend. And those of you who actually subscribe to the live daily show have heard me talk about this subject a great deal. I have made it a mandatory homework assignment for all of my listeners to watch this movie, not only because of what happened in 2016, but just the way, you know, we are manipulated as consumers. And we'll talk about that a bit more later. But if you watch this movie, you'll never be the same. You'll never engage your social media again in quite the same way. And we better get ready because some of the same things that happened in 2016 are going to happen again in 2020. So joining us now, two of the editors and writers are here with me in studio. We have Aaron Barnett. Aaron, good to see you. Thank you for coming by. Thanks for having me. All right. I always consider an honor when people, sometimes people just want to talk to me on the phone when I'm doing a live daily show. But when people come in studio, that's extra special. The other writer is Pedro Coase, who has an excuse for not being in the studio today because he's all the way out in Cali. And so we have him on the phone. Pedro, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? Just fine. Pleasure to have you as well. Thank you for having me. First of all, congratulations on the movie. Has it gotten any uh, nominations yet? It was a little early for the nominations, but the audience response has been extraordinary. The film has really connected with people all over the world, which is very exciting. Yeah. From the UK to the US to even my home country of Brazil, I've been getting messages from a lot of family and friends down there. So it's been really extraordinary seeing such a strong audience uh, reaction and engagement with the film and the topics. Well, congratulations on that. How did you get involved in the project, Aaron? Well, since I'm an editor, I was brought on board when they were probably about 50 to 60% of the way through the production. And I sat down and had an interview with one of the directors, Kareem. And it was a conversation that felt very much what the film turned out to be. It was saying people don't realize yet, but data 
is a huge issue that is impacting our lives and our democracy, and people can't see it. And one of the things I point to is in the first sequence of the film, you see one of the, the protagonists, David Carroll, walking through various parts of New York City, and he can see all of the data leaking off of us. And I felt like I left that first conversation with Kareem already getting a sense of the ways in which we're leaking that data and the way in which it's being snapped up and reorganized and used to figure out ways to manipulate us, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pedro, what about you? How'd you get involved? Well, I got involved quite early on. I've worked with Jahan and Kareem, the co-directors, before on their previous film called The Square, which was about the Arab Spring in Egypt. And I was lucky enough to be one of the editors of that film. And um, we had an extraordinary collaboration on that. And when they were gearing up to do this back, this is quite a long time ago. This is 2015. Originally, the film was going to be a film about the Sony hack. Um, I don't know if people remember that. That was back in, started in December of 2014 when the Sony studios were hacked because of the, that film, comedy film called The Interview was coming out, supposedly by North Korea. And so, you know, Kareem and Jahan are really fascinated and really drawn to stories at the intersection of technology and politics and art. And they reached out to me not long after, and you know, and I was fascinated by this topic too, about how this new world that we live in of information in this information age. But as we began work trying to follow the rabbit hole of the Sony hack, the elections in 2016 happened, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we knew that a much deeper and larger story was in front of us. And you know, after a lot of consideration. It feels like every time Aaron can attest to this, every, every time we make a documentary, it feels like we're getting a master's degree on, on a certain topic. And by that time, we decided that it was much more than just a hack of information. This was a hack of our minds yeah. and our realities. And we pivoted the film and really met, and then met the what now are sort of the, the main characters of the film. We met Carol Cadwallader, the Guardian journalist, in 2017. We also met David Carroll in 2017 mm -hmm. and began filming with David. And um, it was then at that point that we, we knew that we were onto a larger, this story could actually tell the larger story of what is really going on with our data and how our personal information is being used to categorize us and to model all of us and to really shape our individual realities with micro-targeting. And yeah. so we wanted to go down that. Pedro mentioned, Aaron, it's like getting a master's degree. So were you as aware, because when you watch this movie, you think about yourself and your own doggone phone and what it's doing, like even sitting right here. Were you that conscious of that before you started working on this project yourself? No, I think there are different levels of consciousness, and I'd say I had one of the levels through when I went to school and, and, and majored in communications. We did talk a lot about the changing media landscape right. and how while the proliferation of access to media is great from an equality standpoint, there also aren't as many safeguards in place for gatekeeping. And so I was sort of learning this with like blogging and things right. like that. Right. And this was really before, at this point in time, Facebook was still just in universities. It hadn't spread 
the way it's, it wasn't the Facebook we know today. It wasn't, you know, now I'll go home and just see like my dad scrolling through Facebook and then he'll tell me about a headline I, I see. And so I was aware that the way we were consuming news put us at the risk of being inside eco chambers. But I felt this was something we were doing to ourselves. I hadn't thought as much about the targeting aspect mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how the more that was known about us, the more boxes we could be put into and the more vulnerable we become from a consumer standpoint, but also from an intellectual and political standpoint. Pedro, talk to us a little bit about, or help us inform our audience, some of the things that actually take place when it comes to our social media, our activity on the internet, and our phones. That data is constantly being uploaded and mined and really surveilled, isn't it? Yeah, in a way, I mean, it's, it's almost like not only does Big Brother exist, we're paying for Big Brother. We're bringing Big Brother into our own home happily and paying for it on a monthly basis with all our different devices. It is not just Cambridge Analytica and it's not just Facebook. This is everything. Like, for example, every time you, as Aaron was saying, was you're scrolling on Facebook and you like something, every time you do a Google search, every time you use Google Maps on your phone, Instagram, like every single platform, you're emitting data. And what is data? Data mm -hmm. is sort of recorded human behavior. Even when you buy your credit card purchases, anytime you use your card. So all of that data, it doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just go evaporate into the atmosphere. It is siphoned into basically a marketplace. Your data, like your likes, your Google searches, your location, you name it, on and on, that is then can be traded and sold to advertisers, usually to sell you, what, toothpaste, a beach vacation in Florida or wherever. But that also began, and it's usually, you know, they say, well, well, it's to better serve what your, your likes and your needs. But when that is being used to categorize, model you, and put you in a certain box of book, okay, this person is this type and this type of personality and likes these things. And they're able to shape your reality with the things that you see, with the news that you see. It's increasing the information bias that you have. Right. Because what these platforms, what their main incentive is to keep your attention. We are sort of the product that's being mined, and what they want is for us to be on those platforms for as long as possible. Right, right. We kind of switched in between in terms of what Pedro was explaining, Aaron. There's the consumer aspect of it, the capitalist aspect, trying to market products to us. But then there's other very dangerous aspect that your documentary deals with is the political and information aspect of it. So now not only are you going to be manipulated to buy certain things. By the way, folks, my, my current pet peeve is the chicken sandwich. How did that become so urgent? I, that just doesn't <laughs> seem so organic to me. And you got to have this chicken sandwich. And then the other psychological thing is now they're out of the chicken sandwiches. How does a chicken place run out of chicken sandwiches? But it creates <laughs> for your mind, Pedro and Aaron, it must really be great because everybody's bought them all. And then you want one even more now because there's so much in demand. I, like I said, people go to the place, they had a chicken sandwich. I said, well, you know, you can still get the chicken and Bring take it home bread. and put it in between two pieces of bread. Yeah. But our minds are so controlled, you got to have the bread 
and the chicken sandwich made in the chicken joint. I mean, so that's part of manipulation. But when it comes to information and voting, I mean, in recent memory, I guess this would be the first time. It's probably happened before. We just didn't know it. Where you saw it done to this scale when it came to an election. You all focus on, too, uh, when not an election. Brexit was a referendum or an initiative. Brexit and the U.S. presidential election. Sure, sure. And one of the things I I think it's important to point out, too, and my conservative friends are always quick to point out, is this technology began in a way with the Obama administration. And it was done in a much more transparent way. You, You went on, liked their Facebook page. You got to say, I know what you're doing. Then people in in the UK and these billionaires attached to Cambridge Analytica in the US saw the potential to expand this by collecting data outside of an understood transparent page, essentially. And I think it's important to point out that, yes, this was used in the Brexit referendum for folks who wanted to leave, and it was used by the Trump campaign. But this is not a partisan issue at all. This is a weapon, and it's a weapon that could be used by anyone. And one of the things that we want to make clear is that what we want to avoid is a Cold War situation, Mm -hmm. right, where there's essentially a digital data arms race between parties across the globe. Mm -hmm. Because this is happening in all sort of – in all countries. We touch on it a little bit in the film, but, you know – Brazil, where Pedro's from, it was used in WhatsApp to target people, sending out fake memes to elicit hatred and racist ideology and an elected authoritarian there. So we do want to also put out the message, while I certainly wish that Trump were not elected, this is not something to take away his presidency, right? This is not to say an illegal thing was done, it can't be done. We're actually saying oh, no, this was not illegal. This could become the new norm, and we could be puppets by unknown entities representing people who want power in any aspect. We're all vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Barnett and Pedro Coast with his folks, editors of The Great Hack. Please watch it. Again, I've made it a required homework for all of my listeners to make it plain. Pedro, you all do focus on other countries just to show the magnitude of this. And I found it very interesting. I think it was Trinidad and Tobago you all focused on with the Do So movement. Tell our audience a little bit about that, Pedro, and and what happened there. Cambridge Analytica, before they worked in the U.K. and U.S., they really sort of fine-tuned the methods around the world, especially in developing countries in Africa and in the Caribbean. And in Trinidad, they were hired by one of the political parties there, and In order to help that party win, one of the things that they did was actually not trying to get voters to vote for their candidate, was actually a method of voter suppression, Mm -hmm. which is horrifying. And what they did was they helped spark and propel this youth movement, as you said, called the Do So campaign, which was sort of like a protest movement and standing up against corruption of politics and based on, you know, values that a lot of people can get behind on. Yeah, yeah. But it was very well targeted to, you know, youth and being apolitical, but they really studied the profiles of the population and they knew that that campaign would disproportionately affect the segment of the population that would have voted for the opposition candidate. Right, right. And so this suppressed the vote for that other candidate and was able to give the difference, the electoral difference, that the party that hired Cambridge Analytica to actually be successful and win, win the election. Right. 
And that happened in 2016 here in the United States mm-hmm. in a more, even a more fine-tuned and powerful way. Yeah, and do so was to suppress the black vote. And that's got some history in the black community, legitimately. You know, mm-hmm. there have been debates, so, you know, should we boycott or withhold elections? But it's never really took the hold that it took in Trinidad or that it did in 2016. Now, it's happening again. What piqued my interest was that there's a movement some of us are fighting against. I shouldn't even call it a movement, but it's a hashtag, ADOS. So when I heard the four letters, do so. And then I said, whoa, ADOS. And they're telling people not to vote if we don't get a reparations check. So, you know, when I'm going around speaking, I'm saying, listen, y'all, we've all been in favor of reparations, but if somebody tells you not to vote, one has nothing to do with the other, so don't fall for it. And do so, when I, I hadn't heard of do so before I saw the great hack. And so that kind of crystallized it for me in terms of, you know, how that works. So just be forewarned, people, if you're on social media and people telling you in this day and age not to vote for random reasons you never heard of before, be very, very careful. Absolutely. And, you know, the way we saw it in the 2016 election, too, it was more nefarious because at least with the Duso campaign, it was a horrible campaign, but the campaign on its face was don't vote. Yeah. Right. In right, the 2016 right, right. election, there wasn't an openness about actually saying don't vote, but rather certain populations were targeted with messages that they felt, you know, I don't think we'll be able to get this group of people in this district or this state excited about voting for Trump, but I think we can deter them from voting for who our data says they would vote for, which in this case was Hillary Clinton. And so you saw portions of the black community in states like Michigan targeted with videos that I I didn't see at all during the campaign, but were included in the documentary, like the Hillary Clinton super predator video and the Michelle Obama video saying, if you can't run your own house, how are you going to run the White House? So they collected all this data and then determined, okay, which states, which precincts, which people can we send this to to keep them from voting? And how does democracy work when we're so secretly trying to keep, we're we're already fighting voter inequality that is much more obvious on its face. You add a layer that's so duplicitous, it's unthinkable. Pedro, and and that in and of itself is a form of voter suppression. It is. Let me that you speak to that. I'm gonna ask you another question, but go ahead. You sound like you wanted to jump in on that, please. No, it is, and that's the thing. I mean, we are when we are individually being targeted by the use of our own data without our own knowledge right. to shape our view of the world and to keep us from exercising our right to vote. And that the problem is that that is happening. That happened in Brexit as well. Certain people were targeted with ads saying that Turkey was going to join the European Union and the Turks were going to basically the Turks were in, almost to the tenor of the Turks are invading. And only a small portion of people saw that ad. But that kind of campaign, stoking fear and anger, which are very effective and doing it in a way that is completely secret and opaque, undermines our democracy. And how can we actually have a debate if we're not even seeing the same reality or the the same facts? Aaron Barnett is an editor of The Great Hack. We invite you to watch it. Aaron, Cambridge Analytica is the... Well, to me, there are a couple of villains in this, primary villains. But Cambridge Analytica is the big villain in this. I mean, oh, my God. I guess nobody just saw this coming. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. I I sort of see Facebook kind of as the big 
big villain in this. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I don't want to take that away. But Cambridge, right? Cambridge. If you think of it like a Batman movie. Okay. Like, and I haven't, I haven't made this uh, analogy before, so it could completely fall flat. Yeah. Well, no, I could just fail. I could flop. Not. I I, I don't think it will. Okay. We'll see. So you know, the movie often begins, and you see these little baddies. You see Penguin and Joker, Scarecrow, but then you realize actually there's like the bigger villain that's actually recruited all these little baddies, right? Now, in this case, Facebook (laughs) didn't recruit Cambridge Analytica. There was a vulnerability based on how this technology developed unregulated. And this isn't a new thing. History often repeats itself. And with any new technology, there's opportunity for benefits to society. And there is also great risk for further divisiveness or harm to society. So I think what we saw at the beginning of things like all of the internet, let's say, and then social media was this great excitement. And it was pitched to us as Zuckerberg always says he wanted to connect people, wanted to connect the world. And there is that aspect, but then there's also this vulnerability. And so I think companies like Cambridge Analytica are indicative of how those vulnerabilities can be exploited for monetary gain. And I think that it's funny, I villainized them a lot more in my mind before we made this film, but the way that the former CEO talked about it in the film, not Alexander Nix, but the other CEO, he says it really felt like a startup company, right? It was like there was an excitement around this new technology and we were doing this thing and there were layers of people understanding what they were doing. And so the vulnerability is actually us not understanding what it is legal to do on the market. And so Facebook becomes this battlefield where different people can take up arms in different ways. And Cambridge Analytica was one company who took advantage of this technology in a horrible but legal way. And so many other countries can do the same until we start having conversations about regulation and also just about data in general and what can be done with it and what shouldn't be done with it. But you mentioned, this is go back to the Batman analogy. Sure. Facebook is the big villain, you think, pulling the strings? Is that I, what you're saying? I think they, again, it's, it's more complicated than that because they're not pulling the strings. They're not the ones who are saying target these audiences, use the technology in this way, but the way their platform right. operates it leaves open a vulnerability that I think it's more apt to say they are a war zone. Yeah. And they're not doing anything, and governments around the world aren't doing enough to stop that landscape from being able to be used as a battlefield. Facebook is providing the subjects and the audience. Yes, yes. And a lot of people have asked me, and I should let you step in here too, Pedro, but hey, have you stopped using Facebook? Have you stopped using Instagram, WhatsApp? And I say, I say no, I, I, I haven't because I don't, that doesn't actually solve anything. There's clearly a place in the marketplace that would be filled by someone else if Facebook were to go away because at this point, this type of connectivity has become a utility for us. And so this is where I would compare it to something like electricity. When electricity was new, it also wasn't regulated, or the the meatpacking industry. But when you get to a certain size, there are risks, and you have to look at those and come up with solutions for how to make sure, okay, let's keep providing you this utility, but let's do it in a way that's the lowest possible risk for everyone who's utilizing it. Right, right, right. 
Exactly. And what we have to realize is that this whole data industry and this ecosystem of the Internet and all these different platforms from Facebook to Instagram, Google, it is not. And one of the reasons why Cambridge Analytica wanted to come work in the United States is because, as Alexander Nix told Brittany, the United States was the wild, is the wild west of data protection in a certain way, and that there are still no rules or regulations. So basically everything that was done was not illegal. Right. And that is one of the most frightening things. Yeah. And yeah. we have to ask ourselves as a society and as a population, we're like, where is the line? Are we going to do something about this? So I think that's the other thing to start thinking about and talking about is there's been a lot of great analogies. And a lot of another one is like when the automobile came to be and was being used, eventually there came enormous number of automobiles in the roads and the streets. We had right. to actually create traffic signs right. and safety right. precautions because otherwise it poses a huge risk for us. People were getting, getting run over. People <laughs> exactly. getting run over. Yeah, I mean, because then yeah. you had to do it. So you, when something's new, you know, I remember when we used to use the everywhere seatbelts. I'm old enough to remember. Y'all yeah. probably not old enough to remember that, but I'm old enough to remember that. <laughs> but, but the other thing that's interesting to me, Aaron is especially in Britain, because they did a lot of work and a lot of exposure to show what Cambridge Analytica did. And the country's still in turmoil right now based upon something that was literally manufactured. So I often have to wonder, well, why don't you all, you know what happened, so just reverse it. They're still trying to uphold a vote that clearly was illegitimate and, and really may not have even reflected the will of the people. Yes. Well, I think this proliferation of messages that we're bombarded with doesn't stop, though, when an election's right. over. And I think already it's human nature to resist the idea that we're persuadable. And I've already mentioned my dad in this, but when we had a premiere in New York, after we walked out of the film, I said, oh, you know, what did you think, Dad? And he said, and my parents are both very liberal. And uh, he said, oh, you know, I loved it, but it's just too bad about all those stupid persuadable conservatives. And it was like, oh, no, dad, you missed like the whole point. And I think there is this resistance. And we went on to have like an hour long conversation about how he is persuadable. He might not have been persuaded in, in that election, but we're all we're all, we're all vulnerable. Chicken sandwich. Chicken sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I think what we're seeing in Britain is a combination of a reluctance for people who were exposed to the types of memes we're talking about, like with Turkey and, you know, it's an invasion. We're seeing a resistance for them to accept perhaps that they were persuaded. But then also Pedro mentioned the fact that there's no transparency around this. And so not only are we in echo chambers, we're in echo chambers with no thumbprint that we can go back and look at. You'll never know what I see in my newsfeed. We can't ever look back. We can't ever look and see what is targeted at me. Mm. It disappears. It's individualized yeah, right. and, and it's gone. And so I think that's part of it too. And then the last layer is you're still getting bombarded with the news of the day and the messages that the people who are targeting you want to have on your mind. So that campaigning isn't right. stopping in Britain. And so there's no moment to stop and say, let's analyze and figure out what might have happened and think about what we should do to rectify it. Pedro, Aaron alluded to some people having conversation or even asking you, have you deleted your Facebook or your social media? What's your position on that, Pedro? Should Because some people are 
pretty religious about that. They just they've left it. They won't even deal with the social media anymore. What what advice do you give people? I, what do you think? That has been a very common reaction to people watching the film. Where I stand, and I think I'm in a very pretty much the same position as Aaron, and I feel the same way. I I haven't left social media, but here's the thing: because it's becoming a, a utility. It is right. not all social media is bad. Not all. What is frustrating is that almost we're being forced into this false binary where you have to either be off social media to protect yourself or be on and be completely vulnerable. And so the only option is you have to agree to the terms and conditions. I think we have to begin to rethink this social contract that we're being forced into. And it's really about consent because I have since working on the film, I have been a lot more, a lot more careful. I do read the terms and conditions now. I do not download every app out there because I'm very cognizant and aware of how my data can be used. And I think that awareness is the most important thing, but also start to change the conversation, like be more transparent and be more, we have to be more intentional with our consent. It's all about consent. If you want to take my data to target me, I need to know about it. We need to be more active participants in this decision and this choice because we're now we're not being given a choice. We're not having consent. But I refuse to be dictated. Yes, I go now. I've changed my privacy settings and all that. I'm being a more careful consumer. But I think we need as a whole – we need to change this conversation and stop this false binary, whether it's either you're completely vulnerable to being on these platforms or you're not on them as, at all. Pedro says we still really don't have consent. you agree? I would definitely agree. I, I think we aren't literate enough in this incredibly complex data marketplace to give true consent. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't think – that we know what we're being asked. And and I wanted I wanted to sort of piggyback on what Pedro was saying about this false binary because something that's unique about social media is it's a place where data is mined and you're targeted. And so I think that's why it feels like, oh, if I get off social media, it'll fix the problem. But that's also a false sense of security because, yes, while it's unique that you're mined and targeted there, you're being mined in so many aspects of your life, as we right. mentioned at the beginning of this conversation. And so the mining doesn't stop. You are only controlling the number of ways you can be targeted. But another aspect of this is Facebook doesn't actually sell your data. They sell what are called lookalike audiences. And these are troubling in their own way, and in part because they're created by algorithms, not by people. And so you can get incredibly racist lookalike audiences. For example, it, there was someone reported about a year ago, I forget which, which news agency, that there was a group, a lookalike audience that Facebook was selling for people who are Holocaust deniers, right? So you can, you know, you want to sell ads to Holocaust deniers? Sure. So and what a lookalike audience is, is it could be collecting data on me 
and then I'm placed with other people whose data is similar to me, and then they magnify, they say, okay, well, if we have these folks' data and we know they think this, who are these other people that look like them? We're going to target them. So even if I'm not on Facebook and I'm not being targeted with ads, the data that's being collected on me is being used to target other people who look like me in ways that we don't understand. Yeah. And it still could get back to you somehow. Right, exactly. It could get back to me in other ways. Browsing websites, the ads on the side of the page. Right, right, right. If you're on the New York Times sometimes or CNN, it can become harder to tell what is news and what is an ad. And it it even begins to drive some of our conversation. So, you know, like, for example, you know, where I'd respectfully disagree with your dad, we're all influenced by it. And we don't know. Yes. I think we have to acknowledge something about us as human beings and maybe our biological or physiological makeup. The shinier it is, the more we're influenced by it. That's just the way we look at things. And the Internet is still a shiny thing. And so the Internet is new, relatively. Yeah. And then if something's yeah. new on the Internet, that makes it double new. And I, and I think as human beings, this is what makes us vulnerable. So a lot of us do, unfortunately, just believe it because it's there, don't we? And because yep. we're being targeted with things and that we already targeted. want to believe, right? right it's right. reinforcing things that we already want to think are true. Right. We already believe it before we get targeted. So imagine what's happening when we start getting targeted. And, and Pedro, you can speak to that, too, because my friends, I talk about this all the time. We can be having a conversation, and then somebody will say, well, look this up on Google. And then as soon as you open Google, it autofills what we were just talking about in the restaurant around the table. And it makes me hella paranoid. But anyway, go ahead. Talk, <laughs> talk about that if you would. And I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think at the end of the day, we all have to accept that we're all persuadable in one way or another. Right. As Aaron said, maybe it's not the way we vote. But like because we are being fed things that the algorithm knows that we're going to respond to and it's going to affirm our biases and maybe it can increase and really change the way we think via that. For example, when you go on YouTube, you know those automatic what plays next? That is the algorithm Mm. analyzing, categorizing you and feeding you something that the algorithm knows will keep your attention or will probably keep your attention. And so the videos, the automatic play when you get the next video is something going to be completely different for me than it's going to be from you there was a new york times article earlier this year there's a lot of misinformation that actually was propagated with that algorithm especially in in, for like the brazilian elections in a certain way so we have to be really aware and conscious and of how we can be targeted in hundreds and thousands of different ways and how that adds to actually shaping our realities because this information has become a weapon and it's very difficult to know what is true, what is false in the internet. We can look up something on Google and we can see all these search results or on YouTube and it's very difficult to discern right. what is actually true and what is false. Aaron, is Facebook still offering us up in the way they did to Cambridge Analytica? Is that still ongoing? 
Not in the exact same way. It's more like these lookalike audiences that are for okay. sale. Cambridge Analytica took advantage of a loophole in a contract Alexander Kogan from Cambridge University had with Facebook. Basically, ironically, you know, Facebook has assigned these terms and conditions that we don't really read. Kogan had in his contract with Facebook that he was planning on reselling the data they let him collect for his academic research purposes. Mm. And Facebook didn't read that agreement closely enough because their policy is actually like, you know, you can't resell our data, but Kogan had it written in and that's how Kogan didn't get in trouble. So no, not in the same ways, but again, it's almost more dangerous because it's these lookalike audiences where right, we're right. already put into boxes based on our data and, and they can pitch these audiences like, oh, you want to talk to these people? Well, what if we sell you this audience, this audience, and this audience? Pedro, are we already seeing some of the same things? Well, I alluded to one of them, but it, from your point of view, are we looking at 2016 again as 2020 is around the corner? Are we seeing some of the same things happen again just in a different and more creative way that's undetectable and not necessarily illegal yet? I mean, I think so, and I don't think we actually ever stopped seeing this since 2016. I think a lot of these practices have been happening ever since they haven't stopped and mm -hmm. i think they happened last year in the congressional elections and you know right now it's getting even more sophisticated these methods so i think we are we will be seeing similar or more sophisticated ways to target audiences next year in well next in the year's head election. of sorry to interrupt pedro but i, I yeah. i'm flashing back to a conversation i had with Kareem a few weeks ago where he said, oh, did you see one of our more interesting viewers of The Great Hack? And I said, no, no, I, I, I didn't. Who are you alluding to? And you remember Project Alamo from the documentary? Right. So the head of, of that digital campaign is a man named Brad Parscale. And Parscale, I could be mispronouncing his name because I almost always just see it in text. Right. But he tweeted at Kareem, one of the directors, after he watched The Great Hack and said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, but just watch The Great Hack, it's all true, and we're building something better and stronger for 2020. So there's a oh promise. God. There's a yeah. promise, and, he, and he's the head of the... the exactly. He's the head of Trump 2020 campaign now, yeah. of the whole campaign. The whole campaign. He was digital in 2016. Now, it's the whole campaign, and so... Oh, my God. So, and that's something I point to, too, when, when folks say oh, you know, you're exaggerating, like you're being partisan and saying how this was used. And I'm like, no, no, this, like this is a point of pride. Right. And, and, and <laughs> folks, to, to their credit, the movie talks about what Obama did. But, you know, you can't set up something like that and just presume everybody is going to use it for good or knows how to use it for good. Sure. The Obama campaign just having to do it, and as you said, we're pretty transparent you know, there was no manipulation of people's headspace, but this is utter manipulation. And if, you know, it's funny because as Americans, you know, we get exceptional and arrogant. But when we look at Britain and everybody sees that's just utter turmoil. And yet, you know, some of us in America are unwilling to look at them and say, wait a minute, are they looking at us the same way? In Britain, are they saying, look at them, this stuff is a mess. We're looking at them saying, that no, their stuff is a mess. But the same company did this to two nations across the pond, Pedro. Yeah, and, and many more. Yeah, and many um, more, too. And the same billionaires are bankrolling these companies, too. Oh, goodness. Yeah. The Great Hack 
folks read the terms and conditions. I know you don't want to. As we always say, you know, start to more and more exercise your third eye. It's just like in conversation. You know, if you and I are talking, Aaron, and we're just meeting each other, you can discern as best you can whether I'm genuine or not or whether I'm telling you the truth. So you kind of have to use the same faculties even online. But like I said, it's something about the human brain. When it's online, it must be true. It must be real. It's shiny, and it's on my laptop and on my phone. Sure. Well, and something else (laughs) I wanted to point out, too, is that instinct you're alluding to is so important to one-on-one interaction and determining who's safe to have a relationship with and to get close to. Now, this same instinct is being used against us online and can betray us because I can't tell you how many times in the election in 2016 leading up to the election, you know, I'd say, well, you know, what, what is it you don't like about Hillary? And so many mm-hmm. times I heard people say, there's just something about her. Can't, can't there's just there's, – I can't name it. There's just something. And so I would say like, you know, when you talk about the third eye, any time you say there's just something about something, pause and consider – that the way we're bombarded isn't they're not trying to change our minds with one meme or one video it's a bombarding it's a sum of all the parts and the sum they're going for is an emotional reaction you can't quite put your finger on you can't quite intellectualize Mm -hmm. and so be aware of feelings and make sure you're not just fact checking the news you're being targeted with fact checking the memes you're being targeted with fact check your gut yeah because that's what they're going after next project what are you working on now Right now, I am working a sort of completely different direction, but I'm working on a project with Liz Garbus and HBO that's loosely based on Michelle, the late Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone Into the Dark, about the Golden State Killer. Ah, okay. Um, but, you know, it's sort of the flip side of data in a way because the Golden State Killer was caught by entering his DNA profile into a heritage website that collects our data and being able to trace this lineage and cap a serial killer, right? So uh, there's there this, are many this, sides this. of the so there are two sides of the sword, right? Yeah, a, a wrong clock is right twice a day. Pedro, yeah. what are you working on before we go? What, uh, where can we I, hear about am, hear from you again? I am I've been working on a film with a um, great collaborator on the homelessness crisis specifically in the West Coast cities of Seattle, San Francisco, and Los mm, Angeles. Good. Very important. Well, you both are doing very important work. As uh, as documentarians, I know it's a special. Thank you so much. Special field. That's still so. Is that still kind of considered sort of a the starving artist part of cinema? You know, being in movies and a little bit. There's certainly no. There's certainly <laughs> no glamour to it. You know, that, that's you. You you don't you don't get into it for the fame and and, and the glamour. I I. But what I love about it is. Is I, I love storytelling, and I was yeah. actually torn in college whether or not I wanted to continue in academia in sociology or whether or not I wanted to get into film. And right. so this was sort of the perfect marriage of both, right. and I get to touch on different social issues, and I always say with the volume turned lower or higher, and sometimes it's it's the characters and the stories are front and center, and it, and what we're getting at is uh, a little softer and sometimes like in the great hack you're, it's it's more it's more right. upfront in your face and and I love storytelling in all of its forms with with those messages present Aaron Barnett hey. oh, sorry Pedro go ahead please I was going to say and we're very lucky to that Aaron did not go into academia yeah, uh, I'm, I'm telling you because <laughs> Aaron Aaron is a genius and uh, clearly was, ex- was extraordinary
extraordinary to have her prowess on on the great hack. Right back it, at we're you. Very it is an art and a skill to know how to tell that story and to present yeah. it in, in such a way. And you all do this in a compelling way. Folks, drop what you are doing. My good friend and former co-host who's passed on, Dick Gregory, you said when he saw something good, he called you and he would say, stop everything you're doing right now <laughs> and go see this movie or watch this movie. And we would do it. you know. So I'm saying to you all, watch The Great Hack. You need to. We're not helpless. You can discern. You can think about things more clearly and be more aware. And I like what you said about something about it because I'm going to use it because people, <laughs> people saying that now about another candidate. I don't know, Mark. It's just something about her. A lot of similarities to Hillary in, ter- in terms of that approach. Folks, please, man, please, sir, check it out. It, it's great. Thank you to uh, Aaron Barnett and Pedro Coase. Thank, Thank you, you both. so much for Thank having you. us. And keep us posted about all the other stuff you guys are doing, okay? Love we'll to do. have you back. We will do. All right. Thank you so Thank, much. Thank, really appreciate it. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, subscribe to Make It Plain and Get Woke daily. Check out makeitplain.com to subscribe. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.